So I want to start off with a question for you this morning. What is your favorite memory? Think about that. What is your favorite memory? Maybe it's your wedding day or the day your child was born. Maybe it's the first time you did something you felt was significant, like graduating high school or college. Maybe getting your first real job. Maybe buying a house. What's your favorite memory? One of my favorite memories is our wedding day. Simply because it seemed like if anything could go wrong, it went wrong. When we got to the church for our rehearsal, we knew things were going to start going wrong right away because we walked into the church. We had visited the church Several times we went there for our counseling. We talked with the pastor and everything. We walked in and saw the church and everything. We started talking where things are going to happen. And then we walked in on our rehearsal night, the night before the wedding. And behind the cross, something that was not there for weeks before we got there, was a giant butterfly. A big, giant, yellow butterfly hanging behind the cross. And the first thought that we had was that giant yellow butterfly is going to be in every wedding picture we have. And that's not in keeping with our, uh, our design for the wedding. I don't even think we had yellow in our flowers. So we asked the pastor, can we take down the big giant yellow butterfly? And he said, well, you'll have to talk to my wife who put up the big giant yellow butterfly to celebrate spring. The pastor's wife was very, very pregnant. And the pastor's wife would not and she told us in no uncertain terms not take down the big giant yellow butterfly that it took her an hour to put up. <laughs> so we had a big giant yellow butterfly in all of our wedding pictures. I didn't bring the pictures with me today, and I'm sorry about that. I just I want to paint a word picture for you and, and, and let you imagine what this big giant yellow butterfly looks like. So, the wedding morning arrives, everybody seemed to get there relatively on time, which was great. We were thinking, okay, good, at least we'll get a good start. And then as the pastor was performing the ceremony, and he's preaching his sermon, and he's talking about love, and he's talking about weddings, and he's talking about all these things, we hear an ear-piercingly loud fire alarm from the firehouse, and I forget if it was next door or across the street, I think it was next door. Just once, it was like they were testing the fire alarm just to see if it still worked during our ceremony. Thankfully, there was not a fire. There, was, there weren't any trucks that needed to go, but there it was, almost drowning out the pastor who he made a joke and played it off, and he was really good about it. And we finished our ceremony, we were married, and we had pictures taken with the big giant butterfly. And then we uh, were getting ready to leave for the reception. The reception hall was about 25 minutes away. Uh, I don't know why we did that, but 
We did that the reception hall 25 minutes away. The limo driver had not checked the traffic reports for the day. And so we got caught for over an hour in a backup that was obviously avoidable because all of our wedding guests had arrived an hour before we did to the reception site because they had listened to the traffic report. Now, this was in 2000. There, you know, we didn't have smartphones and things like that, but you could turn the radio on and hear everybody talking about this massive closure of this tunnel and you couldn't get through. And uh, yeah, about an hour later, we passed the church on our way back out through a different way. So we showed up about an hour later. Uh, the uh, site coordinator was very hyperactive when we arrived, wanted to know how come we were so late and uh, almost didn't let Wendy use the bathroom before we went into the reception. So hyper she was about getting things started. Um, the limo driver, on the other hand, was very happy to inform us that he was going to be charging us the extra hour for, uh, for using the limo because he had failed to check the traffic report. Um, we let Wendy's dad deal with that one. We went inside, he came out. I actually don't know to this day, and I, I, don't, I don't really want to know, if he actually paid the money. Um, and, and Wendy doesn't know either. We never asked. We don't want to ask. Jim, I know you're watching this. We don't want to know. But that was just something that added to our, uh, our day. So we get into the reception, and we have, uh, you know, the pastor prays, and everybody starts eating finally, you know. I mean, it was a, what was it, an 11 o'clock wedding, right? We hadn't arrived at the reception hall until 2, so, and they wouldn't let anybody eat until we got there. So people were a little hungry. So we got there, we started eating, everything was fine, working along. And then we get to the party part, you know, where we have all the music and the dancing and all of that stuff. And the DJ... We had sat down with the DJ weeks beforehand, worked out something of a playlist, things we wanted played for the father-daughter dance and the mother-son dance and uh, all of these kinds of things. And I specifically, and I'm not very picky about these things, but I had two specific requests for the DJ, for two specific songs that I said, I want them played as the original versions of the songs. I don't want the remakes. One of them was uh, a song that was going to be for the, the mother-daughter, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the mother-son dance. Uh, and I wanted the, the song that my mother would have liked because my mom passed away a few months before the wedding. My sister stood in for her as uh, my dance partner. And I wanted a specific song played a specific way because it was my mom's favorite song and she played the wrong version of the song. So all of these things, not to, not to mention we had a little family drama here and there that was going on. And of course, I know you're asking, Pastor Joe, you said this is one of your favorite memories. So with all of this stuff going on and this disaster of a wedding day, how can it be your favorite memory? And I can say it's my favorite because through every frustrating moment through every wrong song and late limo drive and fire alarm and all of those things, I got to look into the eyes of my beautiful bride, Wendy. And we got to laugh 
together at everything. Even when there was family drama, we got out on the dance floor for our first dance as a couple, and we just focused on each other. We just, we, nobody even was, or we, we wouldn't have been able to tell you who was watching because we just focused on each other because we didn't want a wedding. We wanted a marriage. And we knew that that started with the two of us. So that's why, as I look back in remembrance of that day, even with all of the problems, basically we now joke about it and say we've had the most unique wedding of anybody that we know. But we also remember to forget the frustration. We remember to remember our love. We remember to remember our life together that was just beginning. And as humans, we love to remember things. We especially love to remember good things. And we really try to forget the bad things, don't we? But sometimes the bad things especially remembering them and, and mingling them in with everything else that has happened. That makes our life, that makes us who we are. And sometimes I think maybe trying to forget some of the bad, not all of the bad things, some things are really bad and we, we truly do want to forget them, but some of these problems, things like that, we, we're better off remembering them because it makes us more complete. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about this concept of remembering. Because the Bible is full of examples of God asking his people to remember things. In Genesis chapter 9, after God saved Noah and his family from the flood that, brought, that God had brought on earth, an event that maybe we would want to forget, an event that, that God put into place as judgment on people, but we remember Noah. And the Bible says God remembered Noah. And God placed a rainbow in the sky and he told Noah, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9 shows God telling the people of Israel, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. God tells Israel to remember all of the things that they've seen, including 430 years of slavery and bondage in Egypt. He wants them to remember the plagues that God brought on the land of Egypt. Water turned to blood and flies and frogs and boils and darkness. He wants them to remember the death of Egypt's firstborn children. And he wants them to remember how he rescued them from those disasters and rescued them from bondage and led them out of Egypt. He wants them to remember how he parted the Red Sea so that they could escape Pharaoh's army and start on their own journey, their own beginning of life together. Because we read in Scripture 
that the Passover, that night when God killed all of the firstborn who didn't have the, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the, the, the side posts of the, the house, God told the people of Israel, this is the first day of your first month. God changed Israel's calendar and said, this is the first day of the rest of your life with me. That's how significant these events were. And God wants people to remember these things. And he says, if you forget these things, they will depart from your heart. You'll stop remembering all of these things that God has done for you. They will become unimportant to you. That's why I want you to remember. And in Deuteronomy 8, 9, God says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Because after God rescued Israel, he, he led them to the promised land. It took them like three months to get there. And they refused to obey God and go up and take the land. So God said, okay, you want to refuse my commandment? You want to refuse to do the thing that I know that is good for you? You can wander the desert for 40 years. But even in that 40 years, God took care of the Israelites. He fed them. He gave them water. He did all of these things, and he asks them, remember, remember, remember these things. God remembers us, and he wants us to remember him. He wants us to remember, to keep his commandments, because keeping his commandments means that he wants to give us our best lives. When we decide to obey God's command, when we repent of our sin and say, God, you lead the way from now on, that's the first day of the rest of your life, and God wants you to remember it. And he wants you to remember the things that came before it. Because as the historian once said, if we do not learn from history, we are doomed to repeat it. God doesn't want us to forget all of the bad things. He wants us to learn. And the best way to remember God to remember his commandments is to remember God's word. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now think about that passage. Think about how we might translate it maybe into another aspect of life. Think about a surgeon Anybody here ever had surgery? Some of us have had surgery before, right? The surgeon might say, I have stored up the lessons from medical school that I might not kill my patients. <laughs> I've had four surgeries in my life. I had a tonsillectomy, an appendectomy, a vasectomy, and a debridement of my elbow, which basically meant there was a bunch of junk in there that was causing pain, and they went in and cleaned it out. And for all except for the vasectomy, I had to be put under. 
Anybody been put under before? Anesthesia, right? And I remember being wheeled into the operating room nervously looking around, especially when I was younger. My tonsillectomy was like when I was eight, and you know, you're just kind of laying back, and it's, it's like you see on TV, you just see the lights passing by, and you're kind of looking around to the left and to the right. And I remember getting wheeled in, and they're starting to hook me up to all these machines, and the doctor comes over and, and speaks very reassuringly. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. Just relax. And, and obviously, all of my surgeries went well, or I probably wouldn't be standing here today. But imagine now, if you've ever been in surgery, imagine that you're being wheeled into the operating room, and you're looking around and everything, and you see over in the corner the doctor. And he's got all of his medical books, and he's looking through the medical books, and he's trying to figure out, okay, uh, what is, wait, what's the surgery we're doing? Okay, tonsillectomy, tonsillectomy, it's in T, T, T. Okay, can you imagine what that would be like? And of course, today that wouldn't happen. Today he's over there clicking on the computer, tonsillectomy, tonsillectomy. Okay, there's a YouTube video. Okay, bring the screen over. We're gonna, we're gonna just follow the YouTube video. Would you want somebody operating on you that was doing that? Of course not. We want the surgeon who has committed the human body to memory. When I go under, I want to be able to trust that the doctor can look down my throat and tell what is the tonsils and not take out anything else. I want to know what parts, or want him to know what parts he's looking for. And it's one of the many reasons why surgeons spend several years of their lives preparing before they even walk into an operating room and pick up the scalpel. Years and years they practice on non-live people. And they do this over and over and over again. And why do I bring up surgery? I bring up surgery because I tend to look at the church the worldwide church and also morning hour chapel as a hospital. A hospital that helps the spiritually sick. And I see this in Jesus' words in Mark chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So let's carry out this physician analogy that Jesus uses us here. Jesus, Jesus is, and we call him, the great physician. He's the chief surgeon at church hospital. The tax collectors and the sinners are those in need of treatment. They're the patients. And they need surgery on their souls to bring their souls back to life. So then we think about Jesus being the head surgeon, and we think of Jesus in the church as being the head of the church. And we are the body doing his work as he instructs us, as he leads us. That makes us the hospital staff. We're doctors and nurses, and of course, the pastor is the anesthesiologist putting everybody to sleep. But we are all 
the church hospital staff. We are to use all of our knowledge of God's word to lead the sick to the great physician. And if we don't know anything about spiritual medicine, if we haven't read the text, if we haven't memorized the textbooks, how can we possibly think that we're going to be helpful in leading anyone to the great physician? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If we don't store up God's word in our hearts that we might not sin against him, how can we help others when they recognize that they are sinners? in need of Christ if we don't even know it ourselves storing up God's word helps us to avoid sin we'll talk about that in a minute but storing up God's word in our hearts means knowing it by heart how many of you are really good at memorizing things anybody really really good We've got a couple of younger people here that are very good at memorizing things. You, you, us old people, we're, we're a little bit different, right? But how can I, I'm not even good at reading the Bible, Pastor Joe. How can I possibly hope to memorize it? Well, I want you to think again of, of your favorite memories. Think about how you remembered them. Like the actual process in your brain that goes to remembering those things. Do you remember them because you memorized them? The things that you remember, did you sit down and look in a book and just read and, and, and quote back to yourself over and over again? Or did you experience these things? Do we remember them because they are so important to us, that they are so important to who we are as human beings that we can't help but remember those things. I think one of the challenges we need to overcome with this whole idea of, of memorizing Scripture is that we need to stop thinking in terms of memorizing it. Stop using the word memorize and start using the word remember. Because memorizing is a chore. I used to be in school. Memorizing is a chore. I used to be an actor. I am every once in a while. Haven't done it in a few years. But I used to have to memorize the script. Could never do it. It was difficult for me to just sit down with the script and start memorizing. Other people that could do that, like, like that, it seemed. I actually had to rehearse while I was in rehearsal, while I was acting out the things that I was supposed to be saying. That's when I remembered them. When we start acting out our faith, and we read Scripture at the same time, we can start remembering the Scripture. We can start remembering what it is that God has told us to do or who it is that God has told us to be. Memorizing is a chore. Remembering is a natural result of the importance of something to us. Why does the surgeon 
remember everything about the human body and the procedures needed to perform the surgery because if the surgeon doesn't do that, people will die. That's the simple answer. He remembers so that he can save lives. We want to remember God's Word. We want to have God's Word be intimately important to us because if we don't realize the importance of God's Word as a life-giving soul practice, our souls will die. And the souls of people who have not yet met Christ may die because we don't know how to help them. I've said this countless number of times. It starts with reading the Bible. The surgeon doesn't just start practicing and doing things. He does read the textbook. He goes to classes. He does all of these things because how can you remember something you've never read before? We need to read the Bible. And again, we can treat reading the Bible as a chore or something that the good Christian does. And sometimes we even measure our spiritual strength by how much we read the Bible versus how much they read the Bible. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is reading the Bible for what it ought to be. Reading the Bible is step one towards learning God after we have come to faith in Jesus Christ. After we have asked forgiveness, God has given us a textbook. This is who I am. Read it. Learn me. That is what Bible reading should be. You want to know how God wants his children to live? Read his word. You want to know what God is like? Read his word. You want to know God's will for your life? Read his word. And every time that you read God's word, pray to God the Holy Spirit to give you knowledge and understanding and wisdom so that you can apply God's word to your life every single moment. Now those three things, they sound uh, the same right? Knowledge and understanding and wisdom, but they're not. Knowledge is just the learning. That's learning about something. I'm going to learn about God by reading his word and hearing his word preached. Understanding is seeing how that something, how that reading or how that hearing interacts with all the rest of our knowledge. Wisdom is putting that understanding to practical everyday life use. When we read the Bible, we get to know what is in it. When we study the Bible, we start understanding it. We start putting it together. We start realizing how God has interacted with his creation throughout history. And when we integrate our understanding into the things we do every single day, we are acting with wisdom. 
Storing up God's Word in our hearts isn't just about memorizing. It isn't just about being able to pull a verse out of our brain on command. Satan knew every word of Scripture. And he still missed the point. Storing up God's Word in our heart is about remembering who God is and who He wants us to be all the time. It's about knowing what pleases God and helping us avoid doing things that don't. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Bob told you this morning we're going to be having a summer class that's going to help us learn how to learn God through Bible study, through reading, and through heart storage of his word. If you want to learn God, if you want to learn more of God, come on out. We're going to learn together. But that's for another time. This morning, one of the things that we are asked to do is to remember the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. On the night before Jesus died, he told his disciples to use bread and wine as symbols as reminders of his body, the bread that was broken, and the cup, the blood that was shed so that we might be able to come to the Father. This morning we're going to remember Christ's words and his actions. A couple of the deacons are going to be coming to the front to serve communion. Uh, we're We're slowly getting back to normal. We still have the little uh, individual cups for now, and we'll use those this morning. Um, but we're going to actually ask you to come forward this morning and uh, meet with a deacon and receive those elements. And before you come forward, though, please just take a moment to remember the things that Christ not only has done for us, the things that Christ has done for you individually, for you as your family. Remember those things. Remember where you were when he found you. Remember the Holy Spirit's work in restoring your relationship with the Father. Also take a moment to remember any ways maybe that you have acted against God and against others. Just a moment. Ask God to forgive you for those things that you have done against him and purpose in your hearts to seek forgiveness from those whom you have wronged. We're going to have the deacons come forward when you are ready. Please come up, receive the communion cup, and then return to your seats. And once everyone has been served, we will eat and drink together. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ.
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this, is the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this community. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the people. who not only call this church home, but who call your Son Savior. Father, help us to remember your commandments. Help us to remember the great and mighty things that you have done throughout history. Most of all, help us to remember your Son, Jesus Christ, who left your side became one of us who lived and died so that we might know you, who rose again so that we might have everlasting life. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in your Son's holy name. Amen. He knows the depths of our hearts and He loves us the same. This week I encourage you, continue filling your heart with God's Word. Continue learning God, who He is, what He has done, what He will do with your lives. And hide God's Word in your heart that you might not sin against Him. God bless you this week.